welcome to WCW Monday Nitro, live as live can get, right here on TNT. And we are coming at you with a burn burner. Hello, everybody. I'm Eric Bischoff, along with Bobby the Brain Heated, Steve, Mongo, McMichael, and of course, Pepe and Mongo. This is what it's all about. You've been there, buddy. You've been oh. in the big games. You felt the tension. What's going through their minds? Let me tell you what, this is how far we're going for our Nitro fans tonight. This match should have been on pay-per-view tonight. Hulk Hogan and Sting, unprecedented. And you're getting to see it live tonight. Just tune in, baby. Absolutely, whatever you do, do not leave us for one second because you are going to see what is probably going to go down in history is one of the hottest, most exciting wrestling shows of all time. This is, without a doubt, the Super Bowl of wrestling tonight, right here on Nitro. You've got Hulk Hogan, you've got Sting, you have two. All right, thanks, guys, and welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. Today is November 20th, 1995, and we are coming to you live from Norfolk, Virginia. I don't have attendance numbers for this particular episode. Uh, Meltzer was off his game and didn't provide him for the week, but uh, I imagine there's. It, it looks like a decent house. As per WCW norm, I would assume that a lot of them are papered in there, coming in for free. But uh, decent looking house. want to remind everyone at the top of the show, as always, that you can find us at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro. On Twitter at 20 years of nitro. You can email the show 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. And we are happy to be a part of the old school wrestling podcast network. And you can find us there at piledriverwrestling.net. I am your host, as always, Tim Root. And with me is my broadcast partner, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. And uh, actually, before we get on with the show, I have a little bit of. Uh, uh, like a loose end to tie up. Ooh, by all means, because this is a uh, an episode of loose ends getting tied up. <laughs> yeah, um, I was able to finally find out exactly when Chris Benoit joined the Four Horsemen. Oh, I, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I found out too, and then I completely Forgot. escaped me to think about bringing it up this week. So please go ahead. Okay. Um, it happened on the November 11th edition of uh, WCW Saturday Night. There was a backstage promo with uh, Arn Anderson and Flying Brian, in which they said they crossed the borders to Canada to find the perfect member to join the Four Horsemen. And you know what? Because uh, I remember when I was researching this myself, you can find that uh, promo on YouTube. So I'm going to drop an audio clip in here as a mea culpa to our audience who probably was furious that a show covering <laughs> 1995 WCW did not know when Chris Benoit joined the Horsemen. So, uh, and last week, we, we may have made ourselves look dumb by blaming Bischoff. Right. Making it seem like he had made a mistake. No, right. it had happened on Saturday night. It was weird the way they offhandedly mentioned it on Nitro. Uh-huh. Uh, but but WCW, it, it was consistent. It all made sense. It was us missing Saturday night. Um, does it seem odd to you that such a monumental thing would be announced in a pre-tape promo on WCW Saturday night? You would think so. Um, and kind of, I mean, a- as we kind of go on with the ne- next few weeks... It's very inconsistent when uh, Chris Benoit actually shows up with them. Right. So that whole relationship kind of is very confusing and a little bit like on the down low. 
It yeah. seems like. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think it should have been something that was saved for Nitro. Like, uh, if there was uh, a tag team match or something like that, mm-hmm. they bring in the extra enforcement of Chris Benoit. But, uh, you know, it's it's obviously it's a good move on the, for the career of Chris Benoit. So Absolutely. However he gets in there, doesn't matter to him. I think uh, we'll see kind of between this week and uh, I've gone ahead and, and already watched next week's episode. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot to say over the next couple of weeks about the way the horsemen conduct themselves, I guess. Uh, but okay. we'll, without teasing that too much, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. Okay. Our show opens this week with Bischoff welcoming us uh, to a big show. As, as you may recall, tonight, for the very first time ever, we're getting Sting versus Hulk Hogan in the main event. Uh, and Bischoff starts off by asking Mongo how he would feel before big games. You know, Mongo's a former professional athlete, played in the Super Bowl. Right. Uh, Mongo clearly has already decided what he wants to say at the beginning of this episode, because <laughs> like a true professional athlete, mm-hmm. he completely fails to answer the question <laughs> and instead just hypes up the general bigness of the match by saying uh, it should be on pay-per-view which I thought was also pretty funny. He's inadvertently making a really good point right. that this kind of <laughs> yes. this match should not be on free television. <laughs> right. We then uh, we then move on to get Bobby the Brain's thoughts, and uh, he rather hilariously says that he wants Sting to beat Hogan and then fall down the stairs. Yeah, <laughs> and, and to yeah, right after he beats Hogan to slip down some stairs and knock himself out, and then they're both in general just out of it. Right. <laughs> He doesn't say specifically for World War Three. They're just out of it now. <laughs> that was probably the funniest way that Bobby the Brain could have picked someone to win in a Hogan yeah. Sting match to to win and then injure themselves in a comical fashion like that. I really really enjoyed that line. Yeah, and and it's also very. I think it was a good thing for him to say right away since it is two faces, right, wrestling each other. That he lets you know like he's in the side with this guy. And also, as we mentioned on the show previously, and we'll see another example pretty shortly uh, coming up here, they are temporarily for one night sort of portraying Sting as a heel. Or at um, least trying to. It, trying to, yes. right. Because he's facing Hogan, and Hogan is supposed to be their top baby face. So a couple weeks ago, Sting refused to release the hold on Ric Flair mm-hmm. and was only talked off by Lex Luger, who is a big heel. Right. So that was sort of planting the seeds. It was Hogan who demanded this match. And now to start the show, Bobby the Brain, the heel announcer, has thrown his support, albeit uh, reluctantly, behind the stinger. Yeah. We go to Dave Penzer in the ring, who announces that we are getting a special rematch, which that excites me when I hear that. (laughs) Yeah. But it turns out that our special rematch is Scott Norton versus the Shark. Yeah, and uh, it starts off with Scott Norton coming out to the Shark's music. (laughs) (laughs) Which... You, you could you could tell that Scott Norton's a little bit miffed or not yeah. sure what to do, but he eventually starts just coming down to the ring, and then the shark attacks, which is a funny play on words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you know that before you said shark attack, or did you say it and then realize? I, I, I knew it was going to come <laughs> up. I just knew it. You know what's, uh, it, it kind of fits in, because in Bischoff's book, he says that one of the issues that dogged WCW's production side was the fact that a lot of their people were cast-offs, from other areas of Turner, specifically Turner Sports. Uh-huh. So these are guys filming wrestling matches who couldn't cut it filming Braves games, basically. Oh. So a lot of the production errors are because they have... These are guys who who basically would have just been let go, 
but instead they were sort of just tucked away in WCW. <laughs> and he actually says one of his um, biggest problems when he took over as executive producer and then later as vice president is he didn't use these opportunities to clean house as much as he could have. Uh-huh. Um, so he kind of regrets that, and he, and he acknowledges that the production often suffered. Uh, and and it's one of the few things that he truly takes responsibility for. Sure, he's saying that these other guys are the ones making the screw-ups, but he's saying, I should have, as a leader, fired them and brought in better people. That ultimately rests with him. Right. Uh, one, just like side comment, does it's not really that important, but when yeah. it comes to Eric Bischoff... Uh, as far as his uh, biography he eventually put out, The mm-hmm. Controversy Creates Cash. Yep. I, I feel like that the, the title of that should have been As Live As Live Can Get. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that would have been good, too. Well, Controversy Creates Cash makes it sound like it's a book that's going to teach you business strategies. Right. No, it just, uh, I, I don't know. It's just like such a non-issue, but I always felt like that title of his yeah. book just didn't work for him. But he says... He insists that his shows are like more than live. They're right. like the livest live shows possible. And I, I just felt like that would be more fitting, but I just thought I'd throw <laughs> that in there. So as uh, long-term listeners may recall, Scott Norton versus the shark was a feud that started way back uh, in week two of nitro. Mm-hmm. So in uh, early September of this year, 1995, Uh, When the Shark attempted to join the Dungeon of Doom in interfering in a match involving Scott Norton and Randy Savage, uh, the Shark and Norton collided. Shark fell asleep. Well, he was knocked out. He didn't just get tuckered out all of a sudden. (laughs) Although he's a big guy, it wouldn't be shocking. Yeah. Uh, He he gets knocked out and ends up laying across Norton's legs, who then lost the match to Randy Savage because he wasn't able to kick out. So these two then kind of simmered. We didn't didn't hear uh, hide nor hair of this feud. Until week eight, uh, when they brawled backstage, you may recall in the uh, in the locker rooms for the interactive Nitro. Yes. Yep. They then had their first match in week nine, which went to a double countout, mm-hmm. uh, which is when John was on the show and he he wondered aloud why the shark was being protected. Oh yeah. Well, it's apparently because they want to kill another segment on TV by having <laughs> these guys come out and fight again. So they they've we've seen them brawl backstage uh, another time or two uh, since then. So this has sort of been a feud between two lower mid card guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not complaining. I, I that sounds like maybe I'm complaining, but I like long term continuity, especially for guys on the lower mid card. Yeah, because it's so easy for them to get lost in the shuffle and for the only major storylines that have any kind of continuity to be at the top of the card. It's good to see that things that happen with guys like these back in week two are mm. still having some consequences in week 12. I like that. What do yeah. you think? No, I, I do like the continuity. Uh, I mean, it's unfortunate that Scott Norton went from a program with Randy Savage to the shark. Right. Uh, that's not really a jump up, but uh, I mean, the fact that he has like a, a story going for him is really better than a lot of the other guys that kind of are just like thrown out there. And I don't like to contrast things too much to current day product, but one of the biggest complaints I think you could make about WWE right now is that lower mid card, even a lot of mid card, mid solid mid card guys, right, have no long term storyline or direction, yeah. or reasons behind their feuds. Mm-hmm. So this is this is a refreshing change, right. even if it results in a Scott Norton versus the Shark match, yeah. which is not something I want to see. I do enjoy the storytelling aspect of it. Yeah, I mean when when these two come out, 
you as a as a viewer like oh they're fighting because of this right instead of like we're gonna put these two guys together see how that goes and then they'll never never look at each other again exactly Norton is now announced as Scott Flash Norton, which I think we've referred to him on the show as that before, but I believe this is the actual debut of the nickname on Nitro. I think prior to this, he was only called Scott Norton. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are told by Bischoff that this nickname came from his days in arm wrestling competitions, which is a legitimate. uh, He was an actual arm wrestler, uh, and he would win so quickly that they nicknamed him Flash. He He would win his matches near instantaneously. Shark starts off quick, attacking him from behind as he comes down the aisle. And Bischoff says that every time these two get near each other, they are, quote, pounding salt. And yeah. I don't know what that means, but I, I'm not, I actually really like that. I feel like I could, yeah. might start saying that in my daily life if I'm talking about guys fighting. Yeah. These two guys were pounding salt. <laughs> Sh- oh, did you have something? Oh, no. It's just uh, once these two get into the ring, I'm pretty sure the, the first four moves are like the verbatim what they did the last time. Oh, that's like, probably true. Like belly to belly suplex. And then the shark went for an elbow. And then I think he starts getting tired. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, like Dave said, it's big belly to belly dropping the elbow. So those, those are the shark hitting those moves. He hits the belly to belly. Right. He drops big elbow. Uh, just like in their first match, the announcers hope that the ring has been reinforced. Uh, this time, Bischoff decides to up the stakes, though, hoping that the floor has been reinforced as well. <laughs> you guys, we're going to have two really fat wrestlers in here. Could you could you <laughs> reinforce the entire stadium floor, please? How do you even do you dig a hole under it and then pour stronger concrete? How do you reinforce a floor? <laughs> There's like a, a fat guy concrete. <laughs> it's a little bit more expensive, but when you need it. Norton gets whipped into the corner and the shark nails him with a huge splash against the turnbuckles. Mongo has a pretty good line here where he says, this is surf and turf, baby. A <laughs> shark against a rhinoceros. <laughs> I th- that's also the point where Eric Bischoff says, curse splash. <laughs> shark flexes towards the camera, which uh, is always hilarious because he would do this as Earthquake too. John Tenta, you seem like a lovely guy, and I've always heard that you were a real sweetheart. But you're just a big fat guy. You can't flex your arms like it's muscle. It's clearly just fat. I'm sure you're strong. Like, I'm a big guy, and you end up just kind of stronger than a lot of people because you're carrying your fat ass around everywhere. But uh, it doesn't look impressive when you flex at the camera. You look like an idiot. He also then does something that confused me so much at first, and it's hard to articulate on on an audio medium. But he starts, like, chewing in a huge oversized... He's just, like, with his mouth wide open, his oh, lips never yeah. close. He uh-huh. just he just makes these huge chewing motions. And I'm sitting there going, what the fuck is this guy doing? And then I realize, holy shit, it's because he's a shark. Yes. Because <laughs> this guy hit- is living the gimmick. <laughs> I, li- I like that he's living the gimmick. Yet he has face paint that goes around his beard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, he's living the gimmick, but he's got limits, you know? He got an actual tiger tattoo changed into a shark tattoo, yet he won't shave his beard to make the makeup fit right <laughs> I, on his face. I, I kind of feel like that they keep booking him because he feels so bad about the tattoo thing. Right. Because <laughs> I remember his uh, the tiger tattoo back when he was Earthquake, and it was... I, I can't remember exactly what the how what the quality was right but it's better than what he has now oh god yeah <laughs> as shark punches norton in the corner bischoff plugs the hotline uh including this audio clip which i'm going to play for you here we have got action here 
match. You want to know what's going on anywhere in the world of wrestling? Call Mike today on the WCW Hotline, 1-909-9900. He'll give you all of the information on all of the pay-per-views that have recently taken place. Wrestlers that are no longer a part of WCW as of today, by the way. And there's only one place to get that information. And right now, you've got... So as you heard there, Bischoff made an allusion to a WCW wrestler who is no longer with the company as of today. Dave, do you have any guesses who this might be? Um, I didn't look this up before. Yep. The only the person I could think of is Sabu. Ooh, you got it on the All first right. try. It is Sabu. <laughs> nice. As we referenced in a past episode, Sabu has already had his last appearance with WCW. Uh, he was in some hot water regarding booking an ECW show where he decided, even though that was against the rules of his contract, he was going to do it and see how the whole thing shook out. <laughs> right. <laughs> he ended up calling Bischoff uh, after the ECW show to see if things were okay. And some stories say he was told Bischoff was busy. Other stories say that Bischoff actually told him that Bischoff was going to go smooth it over with WCW officials and that Sabu would be fine. Uh-huh. Then a friend who was watching Nitro called Sabu because his friend had heard that promo for the hotline, called the hotline, heard that Sabu was fired and called Sabu. So Sabu, all his friend said was, you need to call the WCW hotline. Uh So Sabu found out he was fired via the WCW hotline. Hmm. I I mean, that sounds like urban legend but i really hope it's true yeah me too because that i mean you don't hear that as often as uh austin being fired by i think the phone or uh sean waltman being fired via fedex Uh um so that story's you don't get that one as often but it's 10 times as funny yeah that he would find out via mike tenay on the recording of the 900 number and not only that he probably paid like a dollar for right he paid to find out he was fired (laughs) jesus the shark, uh, meanwhile, back in the ring, right. shark goes for another corner splash, but this time Norton moves out of the way. Uh, Norton completely stops selling everything that has happened to this point and hits what's either a quick scoop slam or a very slow uh, power slam. I guess I'm not sure which one you would want to call this. I, I, I kind of went along the lines of the quick scoop slam okay let's go with that okay it makes norton sound more impressive either way it's really impressive shark's a big guy and he picks him up doesn't even look that hard for him looks pretty easy that uh slam is enough for the one two three and in my opinion the shark looks like a complete chump uh because he's been on (laughs) offense for virtually the whole match he gets hit with a move and then he loses yeah (laughs) he must have realized this too because right after the three he pops up to his feet and he's yelling and yes. not not selling anything right so he must have like okay i gotta lose but i'm gonna do the bare minimum losing yeah and then i'm gonna show how little i'm hurt <laughs> and th- this was the point in which i i could tell that scott norton came out to the wrong song oh because then they, they play his correct music yeah. um the here at this point bobby heenan has a really good line um he says scott norton's a tough guy I asked him once what comes at the end of a sentence, and he said parole. <laughs> That's good. That's <laughs> and, good. And that was that was another one that like just completely flew over both other commentators' heads. Right. Uh, there's also kind of an interesting thing, maybe just more to me and potentially you because we are uh, Minnesota guys, but Bischoff also mentions that the first time he saw Scott Norton, he was bouncing at a bar in northeast Minneapolis called Grandma B's. Uh, But interestingly enough, he doesn't mention some of the other connections to wrestling from Grandma B's. The head bouncer at that bar was a famous uh, wrestling trainer by the name of Eddie Sharkey. 
who you may have heard of. He's a Minneapolis guy. Okay. And uh, other, so these are, Eddie Sharkey's trained a lot of wrestlers, but these are, this is a list of wrestlers who he trained who were bouncers at that same bar as him and Scott Norton. Okay. The Road Warriors, both of the Road Warriors, <laughs> Rick Rude, uh-huh. Demolition Smash, who others may know as the Repo Man, or Barry Darso, or Blacktop Bully, or all the other <laughs> shitty names he had, and Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> all of those guys were bouncers at the same rough Northeast bar, Grandma Bees, and Eddie Sharkey taught them all how to wrestle. I mean, that's an incredible list. That That is a place you don't want to fuck around <laughs> at. <laughs> Other notable trainees of Eddie Sharkey include Tom Zenk, Bob Backlund, Mr. JL, Jerry Lynn, Alundra Blaze, Sean Waltman, and uh, the greatest man who ever lived, Austin Aries. <laughs> so I just wanted to plug uh, some Minneapolis wrestling legends right there because, I mean, what a, what a time and a place if you're a wrestling fan mm-hmm. that you could walk into a bar and just see all these guys who would go on to be absolute global legends. You could you could get drunk and get your ass kicked by the road warriors. <laughs> That does sound like a privilege yeah. to some degree. I, you, you're mentioning those names. That's like that's a couple generations of wrestlers. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, I mean it goes all the way to Austin Aries, who is, if he were in the WWE right now rather than in fucking TNA, yeah. he'd be a major star, you know? Mm-hmm. But you're t- you, st- you started with Bob Backlund. Right. And Bob Backlund has to be like late 60s or not that. Maybe, maybe that's too early. Well, and I assume that when it says trained, you know, for somebody like Backlund, well, he had an amateur background anyway. Sharky probably wasn't his original trainer, but he was. Mm-hmm. He trained him in some stuff along the way. Yeah. Just like we've seen a lot of guys in the show have wrestled their way to Calgary and then learned more from Stu Hart than they knew coming in. Okay. Before going to a commercial, we see a matchup card for uh, Ric Flair versus Eddie Guerrero, and I got real excited at the prospect of that match. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they told us that last week, didn't they? I think you're right. Yeah. I think I may have just forgot about that. But anyway, the the matchup card got me really hyped. Coming back from commercial, Mean Gene is with Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan. Uh, Hochland calls Jimmy Hart the original Benedict Arnold. But uh, I got news for you, Mean Gene. <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure the original Benedict Arnold was Benedict Arnold. <laughs> right. Jimmy Hart uh, gives a promo, and his angle on here is he's trying to he's trying to motivate Sting to beat Hulk Hogan in the main event. So this is kind of as I alluded to earlier. This is the second major attempt on this show to make sure that the audience is on Hogan's side during their match later, right? Uh, because here are two of the most villainous managers in the promotion right now, both throwing their support behind Sting. Mm-hmm. Sullivan then has a little promo. I don't have a lot to say about it because it's another boring Taskmaster promo. The one thing I like about it is at one point he forget he completely forgets what he was going to say or loses his train of thought. And he goes, in the world war three. Yeah. <laughs> and he just and you see how bad he is at thinking off the top of his head. Right. I think he's a creative guy. I think he can book wrestling, but his promos are pretty atrocious, and he's really bad at thinking on his feet. Yeah, and and shortly after that, I mean, the Taskmaster is rambling on about World War Three to the point where Okerlund asks him to get to the point. Right. <laughs> yeah. And actually, let's go to an audio clip because after Okerlund asks for that and and he does deliver his point, Okerlund has a particularly nasty little send off. I want everyone to hear. But anyway, what's your point, Taskmaster? My point is this: we've waited a long time. The immortal Hulk Hogan to be in the ring with a bunch of us. 
I thank you very much. Uh, two of the biggest pieces of human garbage I could ever recall. Eric, let's get back to you. I love the casual way that Okerlund gives them a grave insult and then just throws it back to Bischoff. Right. He has the perfect voice to make something like that really hilarious. Yeah. And then right after, after submitting yourself to that promo of Taskmaster, Bobby Heenan says that the Taskmaster makes Sigmund Freud look like an amateur. Right. <laughs> At that point, Bischoff and Bobby speculate that Hogan won't be able to rely on the Macho Man at World War III because Macho Man has said several times, including his very first day in WCW, that his goal was to be champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why Bischoff and would have thought at all that Hogan could trust Macho because it's a battle royal. You can't. Why would you trust anyone? Right. It's it's. I mean, it's shades of the '92 Rumble where Hogan gets pissed at Sid for eliminating him. Yeah. Like, fuck you. It's a goddamn... <laughs> and both the both the Royal, the 92 Rumble and this match are for the championship. Yeah. Like, why? What, what else plan could you possibly have other than eliminate everyone at every opportunity you have? Yeah. And especially if you're someone like the, with the high status of Hogan. Right. You want to get him out as soon as possible. Absolutely. Um, and also, I, I because they, they seem to kind of bring up this whole Macho Man, like... When he showed up, he said this was his goal. Right. But they make it sound like it's like a character fault. Right, because anything that conflicts with Hulk Hogan's goals yeah. in WCW in 1995 is treated as you're a bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of goes to what we were talking about last time where, or not last time, but what we were talking about a few weeks ago with John, where Hogan does that heel promo on Sting, Macho Man, and uh, Luger, because that's prior to Luger's heel turn. Uh-huh. And Sting has done nothing. Sting, All Sting is, the only reason to be mad at Sting is that he's also a popular babyface. Yeah. And that's enough to be like <laughs> a bad guy in Hulk Hogan's mind. Right. And what is in Hulk's Hogan, Hulk Hogan's mind is pretty much what's also in Bischoff's mind. At least the character of Eric Bischoff. Yeah. Oh, this, <laughs> I don't know why this reminded me, but... Uh... Uh, it's something where I kind of like it with the continuity, but it's also like a really ridiculous thing. Yeah. Is, uh, when Jimmy Hart's talking, like he, during his promo, he's trying to like pump up sting. Mm-hmm. Like these are the reasons why you should hate Hogan. And he brings up the fact that, uh, back when they had the guest appearance on Baywatch. Right. <laughs> yeah. That Hogan brought his friend, Macho Man, Randy Savage, but not sting. And he goes even further back than that. Cause he says, you guys used to be friends. Cause when Hogan needed a guest star on thunder and paradise, yeah. he called you, <laughs> but now that he needs a guest star to join him on Baywatch. Oh, he's not calling the stinger. Apparently. I, I mean, I appreciate the fact that they're using stuff. That's like from before. Right. It is a form of continuity, even though it's like, it's ridiculous about like guest starring on TV shows. Right. It's not wrestling related, but I, I just thought it was like an interesting like aspect to bring into it. We're supposed to get Eddie Guerrero's entrance at this point, but instead we get that silly little bastard, the Disco <laughs> Inferno, who who this time has his CD with him. Yeah, he it for one thing it takes a long time for him to come out, but when he finally does, he has a CD of his supposedly uh supposed hit song, which Old Man Heenan calls a tape. <laughs> which that's 1995 old men are calling CDs tapes. <laughs> and, and Eric Bischoff says that he, he saw him earlier selling it in the parking lot for $49 a pop. That's so much. And, that's so much. And immediately Bobby Heenan's like, what a deal. <laughs> 
There was no hesitation. He's like, 49 bucks for that? That's awesome. I think one of my favorite things about when they do these bits with Disco is that when they finally turn his music off, he's always confused. <laughs> like, was his plan just to come out and dance until the end of the episode of Nitro? <laughs> he just, he's so baffled that he interrupted someone else's entrance and eventually they caught on and played the original guy's music. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> first thing you pop in my mind, it's like, uh, it's like when, when Charlie Brown thinks he's going to kick the football each right. time. <laughs> Even though evidence shows that's never going to happen. Right. Yeah, maybe this time uh, they'll just offer him a title shot because his dancing's so good. <laughs> Eddie Guerrero comes out giving high fives to the fans. He gets a pretty decent, though not really amazing pop, but mm-hmm. the crowd is definitely starting to, of the cruiserweights that we've started to see, he definitely gets the best reaction of any of them. Yeah. Bischoff tells us that his opponent is the nature boy himself, but out comes Ric Flair in street clothes, Uh accompanied by Brian Pillman. Wait a second. Flair gets on the mic and dismisses the very thought that he would uh, wrestle Eddie (laughs) and says instead Pillman will take care of him. And Flair is instead going to join uh, Benoit and Arn back on the jet, which they will keep uh, gassed up and ready for Pillman to go as soon as Pillman beats uh, Eddie on the show here. I, I just like the way that he phrased it, where he makes it sound like Arn Anderson and, and Chris Benoit are responsible for fueling up the jet. Well, you know, all the four horsemen have their, their deals. Uh, <laughs> Flair has to keep it stocked with bugles and uh, <laughs> sparkling water. Benoit's in charge of fuel. <laughs> That's like Arn, uh, Arn is actually the co-pilot. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> Or maybe it's like uh, Chris Benoit, since he's the rookie, that's like the rookie task. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so the bell rings. Apparently, we're going to have this match, and I'm reg- I don't want to go back to this well too often for humor, but I'm reminded of Vader not being able to join uh, Hogan's fall ball brawl team because he didn't file the correct paperwork. Right. But in this case, nature boy could just come out with a different wrestler and say, <laughs> I'm not wrestling you. This guy is. And they just do the match. And Bischoff claims that the executive committee is going to be really upset and they might find flair. Yeah. But, uh, but it's still allowed that this match is just going to take place. And that's cool <laughs> with everybody. And Guerrero doesn't, he probably feels disrespected, but he doesn't seem to like sweat that he's facing Pillman instead. Right. I mean, I suppose he has to as the baby face. He has to take on all comers, but no. But I, I'm, I'm just fine with any sort of reminder about the Vader having the, the paper, <laughs> the documentation in order to join his team. Right. Any time that gets referenced is a, is a plus in my book. So I'm excited to see Pillman versus Eddie, but I'm really disappointed because Eddie versus Ric Flair was an exciting matchup on paper. And I, yeah. you know, I really was looking forward to seeing that. So if they had told me from the start that I was getting Eddie versus Pillman, I would have loved that. Mm-hmm. But I feel a little cheated, though it does once again reach back to long-term continuity because as we'd mentioned quite some weeks ago, uh, Guerrero was attacked at random by Pillman in the aisle way. Yes. I don't think the announcers bring this up during the match whatsoever. I, I, don't, I don't believe so. I was kind of waiting for that, but they never bring it up. Yeah, so the booking is long-term, but the announcers are failing to connect those dots for, <laughs> for the audience. The bell rings, and Pillman starts racistly taunting Eddie with his coat as if uh, Eddie's a bull because he's he's Mexican. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's 1995. Eddie just kind of stands there looking unimpressed and instead uh, slaps Pillman's four horsemen. Pillman throws up the four and Eddie slaps it, Mm -hmm. uh, but Pillman ends up slapping him in the face back. They lock up and Pillman powers Eddie into the corner, cheap shots him with an elbow and hits some pretty painful looking chops. 
Eddie whips Pillman into the opposite corner, elbows him, and takes him down with like a reverse hurricanrana where he jumps towards Pillman's back and then flips him forward. So I don't know what to call that other than a reverse hurricanrana. Yeah, I, I'm sure... I don't remember that Eric Bischoff came up with a good... Oh, Bischoff calls it a uh, necktie head scissors takeover, <laughs> but he calls every hurricanrana or similar move a head scissors takeover. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would not trust what Bischoff <laughs> no. calls this or most moves. Right. Eddie uh, pantomimes that the horsemen stink by holding up the four and then plugging his nose. <laughs> it's just like Punch and Judy style shit. <laughs> Eddie then hits a side suplex, woos, and goes for the top uh, rope as Brain dismisses him as a ham and egger, which is my favorite Bobby the Brain insult for yeah. anyone at any time. I loves when he I love when he calls people that. <laughs> Eddie gets caught doing a flying nothing by a Pillman dropkick for a two count. Pillman uh, gets a thumb to the eye and then bites Eddie right in the face. <laughs> He then chokes Eddie with the ropes and twice, for some reason, tw uh, yells in the camera, I love you, man. I don't, he re he does it once when the camera's not actually on him, and then he does it again when the camera is on him. Like, he really was determined to get that line in. Oh, so I, I'm, thought, I was kind of confused by that. I thought instead of man, he's, he was saying ma. Oh, okay. That would make more sense. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but <laughs> it's more sense. <laughs> the crowd uh, starts an Eddie chant. And I was really happy. Like I said, the crowd are really starting to get behind Guerrero as a as a baby face to cheer for and actually care about. And I think that's a result. I mean, obviously, Eddie Guerrero is a great wrestler. But just the fact that he they're, they're giving him the week of the exposure. Right. So people that are going to Nitro that have been watching Nitro, they know who he is. Yeah, I don't have a count going or anything. But if I had to hazard a guess, I'd say Eddie Guerrero has appeared on more episodes of Nitro than maybe Ric Flair. Flair might have been on more. Mm -hmm. But to this point, it's a close between those two because Hogan will take weeks off. Uh, but Guerrero is he's a real consistent fixture of the show. Yeah. And, and Flair doesn't wrestle every time he shows up. That's true. Guerrero only pretty much only wrestles. Eddie gets back into the match with some loud chops of his own. But Pillman hits a back body drop for uh, two, a couple two counts. Pillman then hits a vertical suplex for two. They exchange some chops until Pillman thumbs the eye again. So he's taking some pages out of the Ric Flair playbook there. Right. Pillman with a headlock uh, and then shoves Eddie off the ropes and hits a power slam for two. Pillman keeps trash talking and just shoves an exhausted Guerrero down to the mat a few times. <laughs> it's kind of, it's a good heel move, just casually shoving a guy down. Like, no yeah. wrestling moves, just a shove. Yeah, it's very emasculating. Yes, exactly. That's a great way of putting it. Eddie uh, eventually gets sick of that treatment and tackles Pillman to the mat and starts laying in with right hands. Pillman rolls under the rope and tries to escape, but Eddie uh, tries to suplex him back into the ring. However, Pillman reverses this and instead suplexes Eddie clear out of the ring and onto the floor, uh, which looked pretty good. Yeah, uh, just just going back a couple moves, it's uh, you're starting to kind of see like this uh, tendency with Eddie Guerrero is like you can get him mad. He, right. Yeah. I, I, it seems like he, he he he's professional. He's trying to keep his composure. But if you just like if you push him too many times, yeah, he'll start just unloading. And I think it's just like an interesting aspect of like uh, of how his matches go. And I'd like to compliment the announcers at this point for never selling that as fiery Latin temper because yeah. it'd be really easy for them to go to that well. Right. But yes. to this point, they have not done it. I'm the racist for bringing it up myself. <laughs> But it's actually, I mean, it's actually kind of surprising given the tone of commentary at some time that they don't bring that up. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Pillman goes for a plancha off the second rope, but Eddie moves and Pillman hits the guardrail instead. Uh, yeah, that one looked pretty rough. Yeah, and there is a kid kneeling on the other side of that guardrail right where he hits, and the kid has the biggest holy shit look on his <laughs> face. It's, it's incredible. To be a kid in a wrestling, in the front row, like what an incredible experience. Yeah. Pillman stumbles down the entrance aisle and is nailed with perhaps, and I feel like I say this every week, but perhaps the most impressive top row plancha that Eddie has hit yet. Yeah. He flies like yeah. five rows deep into that entrance aisle. It's this, incredible. This is an instance where it was totally telegraphing what the next move was going to be. Oh, yeah. And I did not mind whatsoever. Right. <laughs> the crowd is super fired up, and so is Eddie as he just – after hitting this move, just high five some guys in the crowd. Like, yeah. holy shit, did you see how far <laughs> I jumped? Yeah, I there, like everyone was sitting down, but there's like two guys standing up. So yeah. he's like, well, those are the guys that high five. <laughs> he rolls Pillman back in the ring and Pillman tries to beg off, but he eats a, kit, a kick to the gut and then a brain buster, which is, of course, Guerrero's setup for the frog splash. Mm-hmm. Eddie goes up for it, but Pillman actually manages to crotch him on the ropes. Pillman tries to hit a superplex, but Guerrero instead just kind of shoves him forward so that uh, Pillman sort of flies back from the ropes and lands uh, on his face. Oh, and when he when he got uh, crotched, yeah, as it were, on on the top rope, uh, Mongo makes some sort of line about how his wife has to like part his hair the next time he has to use a restroom. <laughs> It's like, it's so confusing. I'm going to try to remember to go back when I'm editing this and put in a sound drop of whatever that is so everyone yeah. can enjoy it. <laughs> so if you hear it here. And you talk about dangerous history reminder coming up. We've still got Road Warrior Hockey and Bubba. We're going to take a look last week at the injury to the arm of the Macho Man Randy Savage. The Macho Man Randy Savage, he is going to be chewing iron right now knowing that world war three is coming up and he's got a bad wing we're going to take a look at that injury i don't want to take a look at that injury yeah, mr. no i don't want to see that one mr guerrero might be parting his hair to go to the bathroom tomorrow after that one you're welcome <laughs> uh eddie then nails his first successful frog splash on nitro he's always missing it or getting somebody's getting their knees up right but this is the first time he actually hits it, and he picks up what I would consider an underdog victory. Do you do you agree, uh, Eddie over Pillman? That that seems like a unlikely outcome. Yeah, I I mean it's more of an upset than him beating Craig Pipple Pittman a few right. weeks ago. Um, this is also a part where I when they're going through like the replay of the last few moves, that uh, to his credit, Bobby Heenan suggests that. Eddie Guerrero could very well be the next World Heavyweight Champion. Yes, and that's a great way of putting over not over not only Guerrero, but the event of World War III as well. Yeah. It's it's nice to see Eddie win, uh, but I do have to say I was disappointed by the way that Nature Boy kind of buried him. However, if that's working towards any kind of program with Guerrero and mm-hmm. the Four Horsemen where he does wrestle Flair, then there's a point, and I like it. Yeah. And it goes back to what I said when Pillman had assaulted Guerrero in the aisle and kind of set up this match. Yeah. I said at the time, I don't like it unless they're going to face off, and they did. The announcers did no favors by forgetting to mention that previous altercation. Right. But at least if I'm a fan, I'm watching this, I saw Guerrero get punked out, and now I saw him come beat the guy who punked him out. Mm-hmm. So that works for me. Um, but I do think, and I referenced this earlier, the horsemen, what the fuck is up with the horsemen? Their whole thing is that we're never alone. Every time you see one of us, Another one is there, if yeah. not all of us. Mm-hmm. And yet, 
Flair walks out with Pillman and is like, all right, buddy, have a good time, and just yeah. leaves and fucks off, and he's left there to lose to Eddie by himself. It undercuts the entire idea of the Horsemen. Yeah, uh, except for the fact that like, when you look at the history of the Horsemen, in the end, it's only service. It's servicing Ric Flair. Ah, uh, that's true. And it kind of flits. Yeah, it fits in with the Flair character to be like, "You're there to protect me. I'm there to go off on the limo and get blown by groupies." Well, <laughs> right. well, Benoit fills up that gas tank. <laughs> right. So it, it it makes sense for him to do that. I mean, except for the fact that they just reformed the Four Horsemen. Right. You would think that there be they'd be more of a cohesive unit from the get go. Right. But. Yeah, it, it it was it's a very weird thing, especially since last week they kind of were I, I'm sure that they mentioned it last week that we're gonna have this match. And to have a whole week of having fans expect that and it's not that Flair was injured, not that I know of, mm-hmm. but they just kinda of pulled the rug out from under us uh, and have a different matchup. One thing I'd like to compliment this match on before we move on is uh very little took place in this match outside the ring. Uh, other than Pillman's attempt at a plancha mm-hmm. and Guerrero's huge plancha, uh, everything was between the ropes. And that's something I've criticized Nitro matches for in the past, going to the outside too much. Yeah. So I appreciate the way these guys kept it between the ropes. As we go to commercial, uh, the guys are just kind of hyping the show, and Mongo lets out a dog howl for some reason <laughs> yes. uh, in what I believe is going to be his attempt at launching a catchphrase. <laughs> I, maybe he's successful, I don't know, but... It seems like he was just like, this is a thing I can do. And uh, I'm worried that we're going to start seeing that week (laughs) in and week out. After commercial, we get a recap of the attack on Macho Man last week where the Taskmaster hit his arm against the corner post. This is kind of selling a real-life arm injury because Randy Savage had suffered a torn bicep in his left arm at some point in the recent past. I'm not sure exactly when that took place. But they've been mentioning it on commentary as far back as four weeks ago in week eight when he had his Nitro match against Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. And as recently as two weeks ago when we were told that he wasn't medically cleared to compete. Uh, that's when he was backstage throwing furniture, supposedly. Right. So these are kind of important facts to remember as they come up in a big way during the opening segment at the pay-per-view uh, coming up next Sunday. So I wanna we'll talk about that more next week. Uh, also, this start... Uh there, there's a trend I, I feel that hap- that starts on this show. I believe it happens a little bit uh, next week as well. Where Eric Bischoff, he'll he's gonna suggest things just for the sake of suggesting them, right? Um, and and at the very end, right before they go to the next match, Eric Bischoff says, "Well, maybe perhaps his arm's not injured." Right. <laughs> yeah, and he's and he suggested specifically in a way that he's faking it to cross Hogan. Right, not not to get the championship, right, but. or fool any of the other fifty-eight competitors in the match. Right. <laughs> Up next is yet another uh, surprising rematch between two big brawlers. We've got Big Bubba Rogers and Road Warrior Hawk. You may remember that these two first had a match uh, six weeks ago on the October 9th Nitro, where Hawk was counted out after chasing the Disco Inferno to the back. Yeah. Nitro, uh, once again, surprises me with its willingness to follow up on things that happened a long time ago between two mid-card guys. Um, and I didn't realize I had this note here, but talking about Eric Bischoff suggesting things, yeah. this is the point where he suggests that maybe someone from the WWF might come and get into World War III. Oh, I don't remember that. I, I didn't catch it at <laughs> well, all. I mean, he didn't say specifically WWF, yeah. but you know what he was sure. referring to. So, but. Yep, just uh, just throwing out pieces of information that may or may not have any consequences at all. So there were 
potential WWF uh, veterans who they could have got, but they really, not to spoil things too much for next week, but they really don't get any surprise WWF guys. Mm -hmm. Much like uh, Norton and the Shark, these guys start off by brawling outside before the bell. Hawk rolls Bubble in. (laughs) Bubble. (laughs) Hawk rolls Bubba in, and the match starts with Bubba running the ropes and Hawk nailing him with a back body drop. He gets up and eats a clothesline. Bubba retreats to the corner and Hawk uh, picks up both his legs while Bubba kind of has his arms draped over the rope, so he's holding Bubba up by the legs. Mm -hmm. A foreign object of some kind accidentally falls out of Bubba's pants pocket. (laughs) Hawk yanks on Bubba's legs and he lands on his back. After a two count, Nick Patrick forces Hawk to retreat across the other side of the room, giving Bubba the opportunity to collect the foreign object and shove it back into his pocket. And he is paranoid about it because he spends the next 90 seconds shoving his hand into his pocket, trying to make sure. Because he's just wearing, like, suit pants, and he's got to make sure it's not going to mm. come out again. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. In fact, uh, what I saw was that Nick Patrick picked it up and handed it to Rob. Oh, I missed that. Which I, w- I thought suggested collusion. <laughs> Uh, Hawk hits a scoop slam and Bubba, who is now super paranoid, frantically checks his pocket because he's just been upside down and he wants to make sure that it hasn't fallen out again. Hawk uh, goes for a splash from the top rope, but Bubba moves. Hawk shows his hatred of bumping by landing. Even though it's a splash, he lands more or less on his feet and then just kind of falls forward gently. (laughs) And this is something I've always noticed with the Road Warriors. They don't bump and they don't sell. They, you know, everything to keep themselves as... Uh, ginger as possible hmm. but they, they they have no compunction with beating the shit out of whoever they're in the ring with right as this match goes on mongo and uh heenan kind of get into a little bit and i'm going to play an audio clip here i'm talking about this match right here big bubba's reaching for something in his pocket i just saw him pick it up i don't know what he's into <laughs> what was it mongo did you i'm sure we're gonna find out here in a minute well, Bubba. my monitor is hazy. I can't really tell from my vantage point. Well, put your glasses on, old man, or do we need to get you a rocking chair? Hey, do I have to slap the dentures out of your mouth? <laughs> I wish somebody would jump up and give me some grief. What did you uh, make of that clip there? He, he, he sounds like so long. <laughs> right, he sounds wistful for the days <laughs> where people would give him grief. Right. It's it's actually kind of charming. It's one of a... It's a Moment where I really liked Mongo, to be honest with you. <laughs> Hawk hits some punches, uh, but he runs into a spine buster from Bubba. More punches from both men until Bubba finally whips Hawk chest first into the turnbuckle, which I always like when a guy goes chest first. Mm-hmm. Brett Nowen kind of did that probably most famously. Yeah. Hawk stumbles backwards and they collide into each other and they both fall down. Hawk is to his feet first and gets up on the ropes for a flying nothing, but Baba. Gra- uh, Baba. Bubba grabs the back of his head and kind of casually shoves him down to the mat in what could generously be called a bulldog. <laughs> uh, this is the second time you said that. Uh, a fly nothing? Is yeah. that when you jump off the top rope but miss? That's where you fly off the top rope mm-hmm. only because you're getting countered by the other guy. So you wouldn't even the guy doesn't even bother looking like he's doing an offensive move. Oh. They just jump off the top rope. Usually their arms are at their sides or maybe looking like they're going to do a double axe handle. Uh-huh. But a true flying nothing is their arms are just at their sides and they're just jumping. And all they're doing it is so the other guy can hit a drop kick or a bulldog or a spear or whatever. Okay. So it's a, uh, it's, it's just 
it it exposes the business, as JR would like to say, because it's so <laughs> clear that you weren't planning on doing any real offensive move coming yeah. off the ropes. <laughs> I I do I do like that you call it a flying nothing, but you said it, you were saying it so casually. Oh, that that I, was, it, I, I didn't coin that term, so there, <laughs> I mean that's in use out out in the world. Okay. Bubba grabs uh, the foreign object back out of his pocket. It looks, uh, I don't know, like a rod of some kind. Somebody theorize, one of the announcers theorizes it's a roll of quarters. Mm-hmm. And he then tapes up his fist with that in the middle. Um, the announcers start going nuts about how he's doing that. He c- tries to come off the ropes so he can punch Hawk with the uh, loaded fist. But Hacksaw Jim Duggan has snuck up to the ring and trips him. And Big Bubba falls forward onto his own fist. <laughs> And knocks himself out. And Hawk gets the one, two, three. Mongo kind of sounds like he remembers at this point. He's like, oh, yeah, th- those two have a tape fist match at World <laughs> War Three. So apparently they haven't really mentioned it on Nitro at all. Uh-huh. Um, but Big Bubba and Hacksaw are having a taped fist match at World War Three. Yeah. <laughs> Big Bubba is not going to be looking so stellar going into that. Because he, <laughs> he looks... Insanely stupid right. losing that way. Yeah, I don't tripping him would have been enough. Why he has to land on his own fist <laughs> is so dumb. <laughs> As we come back from a commercial break, a man called Sting is playing. Sting enters the oh, ring. Well, oh nope. Um at this point, after after the victory, uh Eric Bischoff does yet another alluding sort of thing in which yeah. he suggests that there's something happening backstage between Sting and Hogan. But that amounts to nothing. Yeah, we never mentioned again. <laughs> right. We instead go to a commercial, and as we come back, a man called Sting is playing. Sting enters the ring to a huge pyro that actually takes him by surprise a little bit. He kind of seems shocked by it. Mm-hmm. Also, Bobby Heenan says that every fan is on their feet, but yeah. they're showing like an arena shot yeah. in which most people are sitting. Clearly. <laughs> Sting, uh, after he's surprised by his camera, he grins at the camera and says... That was too close for comfort. (laughs) Bobby points out that the Stinger is wearing red and yellow and claims that it's a slap in the face to Hogan. Bischoff counters by saying that Sting is trying to motivate Hogan to come back to the light side because Hogan's been doing his dark side bullshit for a while now. (laughs) I I like the fact that uh, people are so focused on what Hulk Hogan's doing that they determine what they're wearing just based on how they want Hogan to react to it. Mongo, at this point tries to make a quip of some kind it's hard to know what he's going for right he just sort of says this is a matchup that your your face my face ah i screwed it all up never mind let's just pay attention (laughs) to the match he completely bails on the bit he's (laughs) fucked it up so bad and i like it that i mean that's is that like is that like the announcer version of breaking kayfabe yeah, basically. Because he's like, I had this line. I, I've messed up my line. Let's keep going. And he's normally Mongo. If he gets in too deep, he just ends up saying, Heenan's got rocks in his head. Right. But this one is so far gone that there's no right. digging his way out of the hole. <laughs> uh, we go to another commercial. And coming back, American Made plays, which draws audible boos. The crowd, yeah. the crowd instantly to the sound of Hogan's music. It is clear that the plan to make Sting the heel in this match is not going to be effective. Right, and also, I mean, he he's like evil Hogan. He's on the dark side, but he's still coming out to American Made. Yeah, yeah. 
That is pretty incongruous. It seems weird. Hogan doesn't even come out. Instead, Macho Man comes out with a sling on his arm, and he spends what seems like forever beckoning to the back for Hogan to come out. Right. Sting stands in the ring waiting uh, and just stares towards the entrance ramp, which allows Hogan, of course, to sneak up through the crowd behind him. Mm -hmm. Hogan's still wearing all black, and he's wearing his, like, Dime Store's uh, Lone Ranger mask (laughs) that we saw in his promo from his own little private Dungeon of Doom last week. Right. And uh, he poses he poses for the crowd and hypes them up, which makes Sting look even dumber because Sting is staring straight ahead. And it made sense maybe at first because that's where wrestlers enter from and Macho Man's there. Uh-huh. But once the crowd is going nuts uh, for something and he can't see anything in front of him, he, the natural reaction should have been to do a little 180 there and check out what's going on behind you. <laughs> Hogan acts uh, like he might just punch Sting in the back of the head. He kind of mimes like he's going to do it and then looks to the crowd like, should I? Should I just punch uh, the number two baby face in the company in the back of his head? But instead, he taps Sting on the uh, shoulder. Sting turns around and makes himself once again look like an idiot by acting like he's seen a ghost. Right. He turns around and is just, oh my God, it's so scary that Hulk Hogan snuck up on him like that. And the fact that he just taps him on the back, it's like the whole purpose of sneaking up on him is defeated. Right. There was no point to it besides, like, it's like something that Hulk Hogan doesn't do. Hulk Hogan tosses the mask into the crowd, and he and Sting talk trash to each other, and this really starts eating uh, Bischoff alive, as we can hear in this clip. Here we go. We are off and running. Let's see what you're made of. No, man, I can't believe it. Somebody, you know, as much as I want to see this match, I've got to tell you, deep down in my soul, I wish it would stop right now. I don't want to see these two pillars of what is so important to so many kids around the world go at it. But that is actually, that's what's going on right now live here on TNT. Come on, Sting. Come on, Sting. Kick your tail. Man, so it is it is affecting him and his soul, Dave. This is yeah. he's having an existential crisis right now. <laughs> yeah, he is for like four seconds, and then he starts <laughs> calling the match. The bell rings, and Sting is immediately the aggressor, hitting Hogan with punches and kicks. Uh, when Hogan gets ma- finally manages to get in some offense of his own, the crowd boos. Yes. So, uh, like I said earlier, very clear that any attempt to make Sting the heel not going to work. Right. It's all pretty much a punch kick from both men for a while here until finally Sting hits a couple drop kicks, which sends Hogan to the outside. They brawl on the outside as Bobby, in a very smart moment, I thought, credits the Taskmaster with the mind games that has sort of brought WCW to this point where their two biggest baby faces who should be united against the Dungeon of Doom are instead fighting each other. Right. So I feel like Bobby's kind of doing some of the heavy lifting for these storylines in a way that nobody else is bothering to do. Hogan suplexes Sting on the outside, and Bischoff says that his guts are churning right now. (laughs) Thinking of just one year ago when Sting helped bring Hogan into WCW by befriending him. Uh, As he says this, Sting hits a crossbody off the ropes for a one count. Hogan's Hogan's not even staying down for two. Fuck that shit. Right. Sting and the Hulkster lock up and exchange hammer locks until Hogan hits a drop toe hold. Uh, Hogan then sits there uh, holding Sting in the hammer lock and just asking Macho Man, who's on the outside, if Sting is with them or against them. (laughs) 
And Macho Man's advice is to just keep beating up Sting to find out. Right. I don't... How... I mean, is it torture? Is the idea that they're just torturing Sting and eventually he'll break? But the thing is, like, if he has Sting in the hammerlock and wants to know if he's on his side, why doesn't he just ask Sting? Right. He's right there. <laughs> Hogan uh, really awkwardly locks on a cross arm breaker. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, on the I, one I, hand, I want to compliment him for going for something that I've never seen him do. Mm-hmm. But if you if it looks that bad when you do it, just don't do it. Yeah. I, I think that's that's a pretty common theme in this match is like there's a lot of stuff that Hogan is doing that's not typical Hogan. Right. Uh, the entrance, the way he's dressed, uh, the unfortunate decision to wear those red cowboy boots. Right. And you they're know, not wrestling boots. At one point, he tries to go at Sting in the corner and he just slips completely mm-hmm. like a banana peel because these are not the right boots for being in the ring. Right. So I I give him credit for trying something new, but it doesn't seem like he really like strategized or prepared for the new thing. Right. Uh, but yeah, I <laughs> I, I wrote that uh, I wrote down a note that Hogan tries some mat wrestling with tragic results. <laughs> That's accurate. Sting finally escapes from the hammerlock, and they trade holds. Both deciding uh, to work their opponent's arm, which seems like an odd choice for a guy that has a, a submission that targets the back and the legs and another guy whose finishing move is a leg drop. Right. <laughs> Hogan uh, sells a wrist lock by spending his time in the hold conversing casually with Macho Man. He's being <laughs> held in a supposedly painful position and he's just chatting with Macho. <laughs> and, he, and he keeps asking Macho if Sting is a friend or a foe. Dude, Macho Man doesn't fucking know. <laughs> Watching him wrestle you isn't going to give him the answer. Maybe maybe he thinks that if he's watching from a unique angle. Right. <laughs> Hogan locks on a full Nelson and then a headlock. Uh, several times uh, when he's on offense in this match, he, he just smiles. And I feel like it's a very subtle, well, not even a subtle, but it's it's a less obvious way that he's just undercutting Sting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he sells for him okay, but when he's on offense, he's going as far as to just smile like, this is no big deal. Sting is not even in his league, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the part where Hogan um, awkwardly goes from that full Nelson to the headlock. Yeah. Uh, at that point, Mongo says he's never seen wrestling like this. <laughs> well, you're in luck, Mongo, because I <laughs> right. wish that I had. <laughs> Hogan uh, takes the headlock to the mat, and they very slowly trade pin attempts. Uh, it's like they're wrestling in molasses. They get back up to their feet with the headlock still applied, uh, but eventually Sting gets Hogan in the corner where he escapes and kicks Hogan in the gut. Sting then starts more logically working Hogan's knee with a lot of kicks right to the knee because not only does that set up the Scorpion Deathlock, it limits Hogan's ability for both the big boot and the uh, leg drop. Mm-hmm. He whips Hogan into the corner and hits the Stinger spl- Splash, but Hogan catches him in midair, carries him right out to the middle of the ring in a bear hug, and... Uh, after just like two seconds in the bear hug, though, he just lets Sting go. He just drops him to the mat. You you were overpowering your opponent. You had it dead to rights. I don't know why you just let go. He made his point. <laughs> Hogan decides to start uh, kind of leaning into the booze. He actually starts mouthing off to the crowd yeah. and gesturing to the weakened Sting on the ground like, look what I did. I beat up your precious Sting. Right. So I'm not sure if he's annoyed with the crowd so he's doing this or if he's if he's smartly like uh 
like sort of the rock did against Hogan at WrestleMania 19, 18, 18, uh, where he saw that he was the heel and he just smartly stepped into the role. Mm-hmm. Um, would you give Hogan that credit or do you think Hogan's actually getting a little pissy? Uh, I don't know. I, I would imagine there's a little bit of both going on there. I, I kind of gave him the credit for the fact that he is like playing to the crowd. Yeah. It's, it'd be better. It's better this way than if he was, uh, doing the cup in the hand of the ear and expecting cheers and posing. He looked like an idiot doing that while he's right. getting drowned out by booze. Yeah. Hogan hits a side slam for a two count. Bischoff tells us if we were watching the other guys, we'd be watching commercials right now. And he says it in such a way that like, he really means it. Like he's watching raw on a monitor right now. And he knows literally when the commercial yeah. breaks are. Yep. <laughs> Hogan hits a suplex for another two count. Sting fights his way back into the match with some more kicks to the knee. Uh, He locks on a couple different knee-based submission holds. I really don't know what to call them, but they were just targeting the leg in general. Right. He finally trades those for the Scorpion Deathlock, but Hogan uh, just completely powers out of it with pure strength and begins to hulk up. Bobby says at this point that nobody has ever broken out of the Scorpion Deathlock. And as someone who's fairly new to WCW prior to this project, I don't know if that's true, but I was wondering if you did. Uh, I couldn't remember off the top of my head. I, I would think that it's probably true, um, which in that case, it, unfortunately, they didn't really play it up as much as they, they should have. It's either true or rare enough as to make, in wrestling terms, no real difference. Yeah. In, in the world of wrestling, it never happened before. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, when he starts to hulk up, the, the fans start booing. Yep. Um, especially, I think fans are pretty smart to know that when it's hulking up time, that means... The other person's about to lose. Exactly. Hogan gets his uh, point, his punches, and his big boot. He goes for the leg drop, not really selling the fact that his knee's been targeted for much of the last five minutes. Uh, But Sting rolls out of the way. Hogan uh, does act like he hurt his leg on the missed leg drop, and Sting locks in the Scorpion Deathlock. Hogan hilariously clutches Randy Anderson who is down there checking to see if he's going to give up. Yeah. He just clutches him like he's his mom, and he's just like, help me, help yeah. me. And he, he keeps telling Savage that he's going to break his leg. Right. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you can also see that Sting doesn't really have the death lock on very good. Right. Uh, so he's probably as far from his leg game broken as possible. <laughs> uh, the Macho Man encourages Hogan not to quit. But at this point, the Dungeon of Doom hit the ring right. as pretty much anyone who, from the second they announced this match, could have predicted would have it would have ended this yeah. way. Uh, although, like, I I didn't expect that we were going to get this much of the match. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. I, I Especially given last week when they suddenly announced that there's going to be Sting versus Hogan. Right. And, like, the match you've never seen before is suddenly going to be on Nitro. You would think there was kind of a couple minutes and then Dungeon of Doom just ruins it for everyone. But... We, we get, like, uh, pretty much, like, a 10-minute, I think it was about a 10-minute match. Yep. Uh, in which both guys kind of, like, went on the offensive and, and went for their signature move. So, it was a lot more of a match than I expected it to be. And we've seen a lot in these huge marquee matchups in WCW when they do end with a bullshit finish. Uh-huh. They make it clear that one person's going to win, and usually it's Macho or Hogan since they have the most sway. Right. But in this... I wouldn't say that it appeared that Sting was about to win, but he did end the match with his finishing move locked on his opponent. Yeah. So credit to Hogan, even though it was easy to to go with that way since he wasn't really losing, there is no clear finish. Kudos to him in some way for making sure that at the end of the match, Sting was actually looking like the stronger of the two competitors. Yeah. 
Notable uh, with the Dungeon of Doom attack here is this is the first appearance of Hugh Morris, uh, but I will get some more background on that character and the man who portrays him when he has his first Nitro match. So for now, just know that he debuted in a vignette on Saturday night, two weeks prior to this. Uh, set in the dungeon, the master gave Kevin Sullivan the one thing that he never had, laughter. <laughs> no I'm dead serious. I'm, I haven't watched it, but I found enough descriptions of it where that is apparently something that was said. Oh, <laughs> this is another case in which it's unfortunate we don't have Saturday Night Clips. <laughs> right. Because I would want to hear that. Yeah, in one of the uh, Kevin Sullivan podcasts, he refers to a segment that I could not find anywhere online where apparently the last appearance of the master in WCW, he turned into a lizard. But you can't find that anywhere. And in fact, as far as our podcast is concerned, I don't. I think we've already seen the last of the master. I think the appearance with the introduction of the Yete is yeah. his final appearance, at least in our particular coverage. Yeah. That, that was his his final solution to ending Hulkamania. And since that really didn't work out well right. for him. <laughs> Time to be a lizard. <laughs> did, did I mention, by the way, I can't remember, because uh, I think I found this out after I did my Curtis Iakea research. Did I mention the story that Kevin Sullivan talks about on a podcast, not his own, but a different podcast I've heard, where he says that they uh, used to do cocaine off of the scars on King Curtis's head? No. <laughs> Welcome to wrestling. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Who, who is they? Just wrestlers. Just, oh, just. He who? makes it. Sullivan makes it sound like the other guys, but you know that he was one of them. <laughs> King Curtis also used to do a ton of acid. So okay. he was a. Uh, makes sense that he would. This Dungeon of Doom stuff probably made perfect sense in his adult <laughs> brain then. Sting and Hogan in the ring are managing to hold off the Dungeon of Doom, but out comes Jimmy Hart with the giant. The at this point, kind of hilariously, the rest of the dungeon leave the ring, and the giant sets up both babies' uh, faces for choke slams. He gets them. He gets them both in the choke position. Right. Randy Savage jumps in the ring with a chair, and all of the dungeon just stand around the ring, <laughs> watching Macho Man about to hit the giant for a good four or five seconds. Right. Before he finally goes in. So they all look like such fucking stooges just standing around <laughs> doing nothing. Giant doesn't take too kindly to this, mm -hmm. and he chokeslams Savage. Well, this time Sting stands there uselessly just watching, <laughs> and Hogan bails from the ring to go get his own chair. So everyone's just taking turns failing completely to help their own uh, mates. The Dungeon of Doom continue to stand around uselessly, uh, while Hogan grabs that chair, like they're a couple feet from him while he's getting a chair out from under the ring and they just stand there and let yeah. him get it and toss it to Sting. So Hogan and Sting then hold both sides of the chair and run at the giant in a hilariously bad move <laughs> and hit him with the broad side of the chair, which uh, knocks the giant over the top rope mm -hmm. and really pisses him off. Oh, yeah. the giant is fired up. Right. The Dungeon of Doom, despite having the massive number advantages, uh, advantage, hold the giant back, and instead of engaging the baby faces, they just powder out. They get the fuck out of Dodge. We go to commercial. As we come back, uh, we get a shot of the announcers in the booth, and Heenan is being violently shaken by Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart. Yeah. Mongo, who always talks a big game about wanting to fight, including earlier this episode when uh -huh. he wanted someone to jump up and give him some grief. Yeah. He just keeps yelling for security as if he's afraid of 90-pound Jimmy Hart 
and the giant baby Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> he like, does, Mongo, you're supposed to be a tough guy. Come on, fight these fuckers. He doesn't even stand up. He he, <laughs> he, make, he makes no, like, uh, suggestion that he's going to do anything about it. Eventually, Hart and Sullivan leave, but not before completely breaking Bobby's headset. Yeah. So that is two on the count of broken headsets in the announcer's booth on Nitro episodes to this point. Bobby uh, points out that Hart and Sullivan like him. So yeah. imagine what they're going to do to everyone else at World War Three. <laughs> and I really like that was a great line. Yeah. He, no, his delivery of that line is brilliant because <laughs> as soon as they're like, like, Keenan, are you OK? He's like, and those guys like me. <laughs> Bischoff tells us that anyone who thinks that they can predict uh, what will happen in WCW <laughs> is twisted. <laughs> that is so over the top. <laughs> the announcers hype World War Three as the show ends. Oh, but not without Bobby Heenan suggesting that he needs shirts. <laughs> and then the other two are agreeing that they also needed shirts. Oh man, what did you? We're we're pretty long on time. So what did you quickly? What did you make of this particular episode? It it was a little bit of everything, but not a lot of good stuff. Yeah, I felt like this. Other than Pillman Guerrero, was a lot of garbage. Mm -hmm. uh, Shark Norton. You know, I like I said, I like the continuity, but it's a bad match. Hawk Bubba. I like the continuity, but it's a bad match. Sting and Hogan. Uh, it's exciting because it's their first time facing each other, but it only had a basically one or two weeks of build. It's not a very good match, and it ends in a Dungeon of Doom run-in, which everyone saw coming. Yeah. So there's really not a ton to like on this show. That being said, right. uh, who is your MVP? <laughs> well, considering there's not a whole lot of like really good contenders on this mm -hmm. one, I, I give my MVP to Hulk Hogan. Okay. Um, I I I mean, unlike the way that the match was kind of described, I kind of want to give him credit for at least at the end not being the guy that looks like he's about to win. That's true. But we should put him over for that because yeah. that, given his level of control, he easily could have made it so that wasn't the case. Yeah, and and the, like any sort of compliment is with the understanding of like what Hulk Hogan usually does. Right. <laughs> and Sullivan says uh, when he's talking about this time on his podcast. That Hogan was smart about knowing that occasionally he had to give the rub to the other guys mm -hmm. in order to steal the spotlight the other 95% of the time. Exactly. And this would be another, this would be a good example of a time where he can make Sting look good without losing anything really, because he doesn't actually lose the match. Right. So it doesn't really hurt him, and it makes Sting look good so he can say that he did something good mm -hmm. without really risking anything. Yeah. And also, like I mentioned before, it, there was a lot of instances in which Hulk Hogan was trying different things and trying new things that are unusual for his character. Yeah. And so, I mean, based on those facts, that's why I gave him the MVP. My MVP was Eddie Guerrero for being uh, such a great wrestler on the show for that huge uh, plancha. Yeah. And the uh, for finally hitting the frog splash on Nitro. Uh, I was happy for the young man. My match of the night, uh, no surprise, was Eddie and Pillman. Well, how about you? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go along the same line with my uh, compliments for Hulk Hogan. I'm going to go with Hulk Hogan versus Sting. Um, it wasn't a great match, um, but again, like I mentioned, considering that they, uh, they could have just teased the idea of the match yeah. and had a run-in right away, you, you got to see like the full uh, 
array of like different emotions and different moves and stuff like that. It's not. It wasn't suggesting that they would have a really great match, right? But considering that they they hyped this up as a way to get people to watch Nitro, they actually delivered on having, uh, giving us like about ten minutes of it. Sure. And and also, pretty much Hulk Hogan allowing Sting to look good too. And I do think uh, it was the biggest match that WCW could have put on yes. at this point of, of its history. Um, so even if I don't love the match, uh, kudos to them for throwing it on there and getting some hype simply out of the fact that these are two huge baby faces going against each other for the first time. Yeah. In our Raw recap, we learned that the previous evening at Survivor Series, Bret Hart won the WWF champ from Diesel. Uh, on Raw, the one two, three kid defeated Hakushi. Skip uh, versus Sabio Vega went to a no contest when the newly healed Diesel interrupted the match to cut a promo. And Shawn Michaels versus Owen Hart ended in a no decision when Shawn collapsed in the ring shortly after Owen hit him with an enziguri. This angle is pretty notable for being treated very seriously and realistic. Uh, it's a big departure from the cartoonish WWF we've been experiencing so far in 1995, if you've yeah. been watching over on that channel. So that's it's a very notable angle um, going on, and it, it happened against the Hogan-Sting match. Yeah. That's what WWF was running against this particular segment. Yeah, and I do, I, I do remember at the time when I did flip over to watch that, that because, um, again, I was uh, like 12 or something like that, yeah. and, and I, I wasn't sure whether or not it was part of the story. Because they it, do a great job selling it, and if I recall – because I didn't actually watch it. I just read about it. But if I recall correctly, after the time he gets injured, there's virtually no commentary. And uh, that was something that Sean had fought for. He mm. was very adamant that there be no commentary yeah. at that point to sell how realistic it was. Vince didn't like that idea, but Sean managed to talk him into it. And it really adds to the power of the moment. Yeah. Uh, so if you've got the network and some free time, that might be something worth checking out. Because it took place 20 years ago today, if you were listening to this on the day that we put it out, uh, November 20th, 2015. It's a podcast, though. You could be listening to it 45 years in the future, in June, <laughs> in your space car. <laughs> uh, in, the raw, in the ratings recap, Nitro edged out Raw 2.5 to 2.3. So Hogan versus Sting, uh, too big an allure for, for some people to miss, so they won the week. Smoky Mountain Wrestling has closed shop. In other wrestling news, uh, that was Jim Cornette's promotion in sort of the Tennessee area. So they're done. He can devote his time fully to his on-air uh, appearances for WWF. Felt like that was notable. We wanted to mention it. Anything else that we want to get out here at the end of the show, Dave? Um, nope. There's nothing really hyping up for next Nitro because we have the pay-per-view. Um, so next week we're going to see the fallout of World War Three and who the new World Heavyweight Champion is going to be. All right, so we look forward to that next week. If you're looking to get in touch with us before then, you can find us at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro on Twitter at 20 years of nitro. You can email the show 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. And once again, we are proud members of the OSW old school wrestling podcast network, which you can find at piledriverwrestling.net. Holy shit. There's a lot of stuff to plug at the beginning and end of the show now. But that is a good thing because it shows that this truly is where the big boys play. Uh. This is 20 Years of Nitro. <laughs> Match with the unveiling of the newest member of the Four Horsemen. Let's go to them right now.
Sting, I gotta believe you suffered brain damage at Halloween Havoc. You've been around long enough to know when you jump on one, you jump on us all. And what you may have thought to be a stroke of genius was in fact your death warrant. Because while you sat and regaled your obsequious lapdogs with your reprehensible act, Double A and myself scoured the global landscape and we found ourselves a whiskey drinking, skirt chasing, fist fighting son of a gun that'll knock your chuck off. And that makes four. And that makes for a whole heck of a lot of trouble for yourself. Hogan, Savage, and the rest of the prima donnas that pollute WCW. Sting, you saw Flair or Pillman or Anderson alone for the last time. It'll never, ever happen again because when we're in Canada, aching the cog of the machine that's going to run WCW through the 90s, everyone's fate was sealed and shortly... Nakanishi, we're going to make an example out of you. Sting, Hogan, look into that crystal ball at your fate. Enter the fourth <laughs> horseman, the crippler, Benoit. Sting, it's quite obvious that you're not aware of who you're dealing with. Your arrogance will not be tolerated by the horsemen. <laughs> your ignorance in taking advantage of a situation in which one of the horsemen were involved will not be tolerated. You're a marked man, Sting, and you're gonna find out exactly why they call me the Crippler. Get out while you can, all of you! Ooh. The last you save may be your own. <laughs> <laughs>